Hello, everybody. Amy Wheeler here, and it is already April. I cannot believe where this year went. I'm thinking back to last year, right at this time, when I found a very strange thing on my tongue. And it took another two months to diagnose what that strange thing was, but turned out that it was cancer. And yes, I had tongue cancer. It is crazy to me that it's already been a year that I went through my surgeries and treatments and all those doctor's appointments and that I retrained my tongue to talk, although it sometimes doesn't do what I want it to do anymore. And that I'm still here a year later and I'm happy and I'm healthy and I am a different person as a result of going through that. About a year ago, I also retired from being a public school teacher at California State University. After 25 years of teaching in public education, I couldn't take it anymore. I was burnt out, which probably contributed to me getting cancer. I was depleted. I wasn't enjoying myself anymore. And I, I don't think it was just the COVID pandemic. Education had changed in the last five years, I would say, in a way that was no longer comfortable for me. And the longer I put it off this retirement decision, the more unhealthy I got, the more depleted I got, the more dysregulated my nervous system got. And a number of health issues popped up, including chronic pain, high cholesterol, these types of things. But it was because I was not living a sustainable lifestyle and I was burnt out. And so for a lot of you listening out there, it is really hard to take that jump and say, I've got to do something new. But I can tell you a year later, I'm so happy. I am so happy. I have the life I want. I'm living in a regulated nervous system. I'm living in a stable mind. I'm happy. I'm healthy. I'm able to do self-care. I'm taking care of my family and my animals and my husband and my parents. And I've got a new lease on life. So I just want to put that out there. The year has changed a lot about me for the better. And if you're not feeling very hopeful, if you're feeling like, like your life isn't sustainable, I hope this interview with Maya Siemens will give you hope for the future because she and I were in a very similar situation as public school teachers and we got out <laughs> and now we're living the life of our dreams in a very good way. So hang in there, be open to possibilities, be open to hope because it is there. All right, now I'll take you into our interview. Hello, today we have a wonderful interview with Maya Siemens. And Maya is a woman that I greatly admire. She started off as a public school teacher who was celebrated for putting her own needs aside, for burning herself out, for showing up sick to school, and basically couldn't do it very long. I mean, I think a lot of us teachers have been through this, that when you're asked to work all day long with no bathroom breaks, no food breaks, you cannot stay in that environment 
and, and then also have them celebrate it. So, you know, by a pretty young age, Maya had figured out that this was not sustainable and she needed to look for a new career. And so she is becoming a optimal state yoga therapist, soon to be CIAYT with the International Association of Yoga Therapists. And she's gone through a wonderful Ayurvedic counseling program put on by Anjali Deva and her father, Arun. And so she's got this beautiful mix of yoga therapy and Ayurveda, almost 1500 hours of training and has started working with youth that need support, especially mental health support. And I think you're really going to enjoy Maya's story. We take her all the way back to being a 13-year-old girl and, you know, having substances from outside of herself be used to regulate her mood and her energy levels, and then going through her teens and figuring out, oh my gosh, I can do something very similar by using yoga. And, you know, I think many of us came to understand that when we first started yoga that, oh, this is almost like a drug. It can really help to regulate. And then, you know, all the way full circle to have Maya helping 11 to 30 year olds with their mental health, health difficulties, using things like yoga philosophy and breathing techniques and creating safe communities and co-regulation of the nervous system. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. And I want to show you Maya's website, Integrated Mind Body Therapy, Healing From Within, so that if you'd like to reach out to Maya, you can do that. Her website is www.integratedmindbodytherapy.com. And she says it's an integrated mind-body approach to women's health and trauma recovery. And so feel free to contact Maya and, you know, connect with her. I think there's so many mothers out there. There's so many kids out there, uh, yoga teachers, yoga therapists that are all going to benefit from this beautiful interview. Thanks, Maya. Here we go. Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. My name is Amy Wheeler, and I'm your host. We are so happy to tell you all that's happening in the world of yoga therapy. And we love to find guests from all over the world so that we can share and learn and grow together. Please nourish yourself, take time for yourself, and really relax into listening to the podcast. Thank you for coming, Maya. It's so nice to see you today. Welcome. Thank you. Really happy to be here. Maya, I'm, I've always been really curious about your story and where you came from, how you healed yourself and where you're going in this life and the hope that you have for the future. But first, I just want to tell our audience a tiny bit about you before we get into your story and all of the wisdom that you're going to share with us today. So Maya is in an integrative Ayurvedic health counselor program with Anjali and Arun Deva. It's a 600 hour program and she's getting close to being finished. And Maya is in the optimal state yoga therapy training program, which is 865 hours and very, very close to being finished also. So in the last couple of years, you have done a massive amount of training in yoga and Ayurveda. How has that been? 
It's been like the, the gift of a lifetime, honestly. It's so interesting how COVID opened up the universe for me to be able to, to do this. A lot of my life shut down and then I was feeling pretty lost. And then this, this really kind of came out of nowhere in some ways. I mean, I was always on the yoga path, but finding optimal state in particular was in a, in a special way. Reading Dr. Gail Parker's book, the introduction, it was as soon as I read that introduction, I was like, this is it. This is, this is what I want to do. So yeah, it's been so amazing. The community, the support and the invitation to apply it to yourself has been the greatest gift of all of it. Thank you so much. Well, let's start from the beginning. When I met you, I think you had just decided that public school teaching, although you were passionate about it and you were really good at it, it was taking too much of a toll on you. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. You know, it had been a few years. I I had been in recovery from public school teaching for a few years at that point, but I was headed back into the schools at that time for sure. Before COVID that was, I was kind of finding like, this is all back and start teaching again in some capacity in the schools, but, but yes, teaching probably is what, what it was looking like. Yeah. And, you know, I've been a teacher for 25 years. You've been for many, many years. What specifically, if you can remember what was burning you out? Cause I remember what was burning me out, but how about you? Was there one or two things or was it just everything? It was a lot of things. Part of it, I think was my Pitta personality a little bit, my passion. I went in to teaching, you know, I think I was probably 24 and I was passionate and I thought I could go in there and I was ready to just like do whatever I had to do to be the best teacher I could possibly be. I had some really inspiring college professors who really inspired me. I was proud to be entering public education. Like it was really a big part of my identity. So I think being a little bright eyed and bushy tailed and thinking I could do more than I could, I think that was part of it. But yeah, I went into a school initially that was pretty small and and relied pretty heavily on teachers to do a lot more than just teach. So there was like, I think we had two administrators and eight teachers. Mm. And so we did, I mean, I did everything from scheduling classes to communicating with parents to mentoring, counseling and teaching electives. I mean, it was, I was set up for burnout for sure. Yeah. So that's the short answer. Yeah. I'm happy to speak more about that. I just think there's so many teachers out there that are maybe looking for other careers because it's unsustainable. I mean, I looking back on my 25 years at Cal state university, I would work for 10 hours straight and there would not be 10 minutes to get a drink or go to the bathroom or put any food in my mouth. I mean, it was game on from morning to night. I would come home and collapse, collapse. I mean, I remember I would, you know, get to school at 6 a.m. to prepare. I remember one time coming to school just sick. And this is like pre-COVID. So back when I think this, you know, things were a little bit different. But I remember my principal came up to me and she's like, you're awesome. Thank you so much, you know. And because at that particular school, if we we didn't have substitutes, Mm -hmm. if one of us was out, our students just got fed into like it just was heavier for everybody else. So I mean, I was totally celebrated for going above and beyond time after time to the point where, I mean, I can remember it. She came up to me and she said, you know, she thanked me for coming to work sick. And I thought, you know, at 25, I'm like, I'm really. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, but I think yeah. it's just expected, expected that we will do that because we do want to be of service to the kids. So let's take it even further back because, you know, you ended up being a teacher, but at age 13, you were diagnosed with ADD. Yeah. Tell us about that being a young person that basically kind of got put down the ADD tract. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm from Baltimore city and I went to, to a Catholic school where my father was a teacher. He actually taught religion. I don't know if you know this, Amy, he, I in, don't. in the religion department, he taught a, a class called social justice. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so similar to your story, I think in, a, in some ways, maybe they put him at the very end of the hallway where, you know, cause otherwise it was a pretty traditional Catholic school. So he could like, you know, do his, his thing at the end of the hallway. Um, <laughs> Quarantine him down there. <laughs> right. I commuted out to the county with my dad to go to this private school. And I grew up at this school kind of because I would, he would pick me, I would, I would spend my time there. He, he ran the community service department and there was a lot of like, he ran a summer camp for kids from public housing there every summer. So I spent every summer at this school. So it was like, you know, the uniform at the school hadn't changed in 125 years. There was a lot of tradition and a lot of like, it really meant something to be, it was an all girl school to be a, a, a student there in this Catholic school. And I I'm sure others, they had it very much tracked. So level two, level three, level four, and you know, exactly what that meant. You know, it was almost like if you were in this level, you knew what colleges would be available to you. It was very kind of cutthroat in that way. And athletics were the same way, but yeah, in seventh grade, I remember being called into the special, we didn't know at that time, there was no kind of awareness of like learning differences, but called into like a the resource woman's office. And there was teachers were reporting. I was looking out the window and I still have these documents, but that's what the evidence was, was that I was looking out the window and she sat me down. She told me about this drug called Adderall. And she said she was on it. She said, it will make me better at sports. Like I can remember sitting in her office and my parents got the same pitch, you know, it will make you better at sports in seventh grade because I was looking out the window in math class. But at this very, you know, like at this school that saw intelligence and success in a very narrow way, I think, you know, kind of freaked my parents out a little bit. Like they want me to be successful and I'm, you know, there's a way that they can help. So yeah, in seventh grade, I was diagnosed and then given a pretty heavy duty amphetamine drug as a 13 year old and, and also kind of forged this identity that I wasn't smart because I was, you know, tracked into the lower classes and, you know, given, I, w- I remember feeling so much shame about the fact that I had to take this medication and I didn't know what ADD was. It just sounded, we just called it like, I was like the dumb kid thing, you know? I think so many of our listeners, especially moms are probably sitting in their car crying right now because this either happened to their children or is still happening to their children or happened to them. I mean, this is common not to take anything away from your suffering. I'm just trying right. to keep no, totally listening. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, growing up in private schools, it was, it only became more common as I got older. Yeah. And so, you know, today we're talking about yoga, Ayurveda, even psychotherapy and, and your hope for the future, what you've created for yourself. But back then when this happened, and I hear you saying you've kind of had this maybe even shame about having this, did anybody ever mention anything about self-regulation or 
let this girl go out and burn it off on the playground. Or I'm trying to, you know, back then there was different ways that we thought about this, but we would say, oh, that, that child has a lot of energy. We better let them stay out for recess 10 extra minutes or something. Was there any other thought of, of a way to help you or was this just it? I mean, I think the organization skills, which was great, you know, the, the color coded sticky notes and, and all the planner stuff. I really was taught how to use a planner mm. really well. <laughs> do you still use that skill? I oh, do okay. actually. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm really grateful for that, but no. And it wasn't like hyperactivity for me. It was like the, the daydreaming mm. and, you know, I played sports, so I was pretty active. So that definitely helped. But yeah, I mean, looking back to think like you would be giving such a young kid, such a strong drug and like, no, I never like therapy was never brought into it. Like to have a therapist keep track of how this was, how the medication was doing or, you know, keep track of it. I'm I'm telling you, it was sold to me. Like this is going to, she told me it's going to make you a better athlete. It's going to make you a better student. And it was really about like taking it, like going to school, being on top of my homework, it, it was accommodation. So longer times for testing. I, I remember some, at some points getting like my textbooks on, on tape cassette and like, mm-hmm. so doing my homework, like listening and underlining, it was really more about keeping me in that particular system and having me excel in that system, which just wasn't, it couldn't see my brilliance or the, the high intelligence. It just exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know. I've had some people come to our yoga therapy school. And one of the things they say to me when they introduce themselves is, well, I'm not super intelligent or, and I just say, whoa, whoa, whoa. There are so many forms of intelligence. When you talk about you're not intelligent, which, which one are you referring to? Right. Here's right. all the ways I see you socially, emotionally intelligent. Yeah. And so I think as a teacher, I set my classroom up to value a very different kind of intelligence. Mm. Yeah. So, so yeah, it, it led me somewhere, but. But you said you've got powerful amphetamines at age 13. How, how did that play out? At first I remember like as a kid, I just had no self-awareness. I mean, I remember they would give you a list of possible side effects and I just didn't have the self-awareness. Like those side effects were definitely happening. I remember like I wouldn't go to lunch. I would just go to the library and do work, but I I just didn't have the self-awareness or the help to kind of be self-aware. Like that just wasn't a skill I had developed at that age. What kids would, to be fair, like we just, you don't know, you need to be taught these things. Right. But when I got to high school, I would say that's when I learned how to use it in a way that, you know, in high school, it was about like getting good grades, maintaining a certain weight. Like, I, I mean, it was like explicitly taught to me. So in high school, I realized like, oh, this is a good thing to have it. That's my, my identity around it shifted. Like, oh, I'm lucky and people wanted it. And I kind of started to use it and I started to take control over it. Not that that was a good thing, but that's what shifted in high school is. Yeah. So all throughout high school, all throughout college, when I found yoga for the first time was at 26, Obamacare stopped. So I couldn't get my parents insurance anymore, which means no more Adderall. That's when I found yoga. I literally at the cutoff of the Adderall was when I found yoga. So you, you knew there was going to be a date where you could not get this anymore. And when you found yoga, what happened? 
Um, I mean, I didn't correlate it. It wasn't like, oh, I'm, I, I didn't correlate it at the time, but I remember like immediately it was, I just started going every day and cause there was definitely anxiety about not having this drug. I mean, I think the other thing about taking a drug like that for so long is like, I attributed a lot of what I had accomplished with taking mm -hmm. a substance or something outside of me, even just kind of mentally, like planning out my day, you know, was very much associated with something outside of me. Yeah. It was a storm in my life of, I had lost a good friend just about to start teaching and no more Adderall. And I happened to be, it was the summer before starting to teach for the first time. So I had just graduated my teacher credential program in Oakland, California. I went to live up in Northern California in a little coastal town called Mendocino mm -hmm. uh, with family. And it's, it's so ironic, but this little yoga studio in the town was opened by a former teacher, which is so funny, but yeah. So I, I just, figured I'd check it out and it was heated. And it was just something about, I think within a couple of days I purchased a monthly pass. And I remember at that time, like that was a lot of money for me to spend on something. So it just felt like, oh, I'm really going to do this. And I did, I went every day and I remember kind of like crying in child's pose. I, it gave me sustained energy in the mm. way that the, the Adderall kind of was before. So it's, I kind of was able to connect, like if I want to feel good today, I have to go there. Yeah. Um, now there was other, cool, isn't it? It was cool. And I want to be clear, like it wasn't just so perfect. Like there was other stuff, like I was using cannabis and I had other unhealthy habits that were happening at the same time, but it was like a seed and it was the start of something for sure. It sounds like you kind of pretty quickly understood that yoga can be like an energy regulator, a mood regulator. Like you could kind of use this. I see that I saw this a lot in the 1990s down in Los Angeles that people almost replaced whatever they were trying to get off of in terms of addiction with one to two yoga classes a day because of that ability to sustain our energy and mood. And it's not a bad thing. I mean, I think doing a couple of yoga classes a day is better than some other things. So it was that kind of your experience. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know if you're, if you'll be surprised to hear this or not, but I first, I fell right into Bikram mm. um, and that, and I would, there would be days where I would go twice a day. So when I got back to the Bay area, this was my last semester of student teaching. And I was student teaching at Berkeley high school, which is like 4,000 kids. And I just, it was so scary to get up in front of a class. And I remember going to Bikram classes and they were so hard. And I remember like looking in the mirror and being like, if I can finish this class, I can go and teach those kids tomorrow. And it was something about that. And, and so for me, for the, for the first probably five years of my yoga journey, it was like Bikram, like going to refuel. This is what I like to point out that there is no bad yoga, right? You needed Brahmana, you needed strength, you needed backbends, you needed challenge, you needed focus, mm -hmm. you needed confidence. And that type of yoga provided it for you. Totally. And to me, it sounds like, uh, you know, yoga therapy, almost that that's what you needed as a young warrior goddess, getting your groove on in public school of 4,000 kids. Totally. And for somebody else that may not be the correct type totally. of yoga for them. Totally. Yeah. So you figured out that yoga can help you sustain your energy, regulate your mood, bring your confidence up. Then what happened? Okay. So when I was doing the Berkeley high thing, it was only half, a, I was not full-time teaching yet. Okay. So I could maintain a regular yoga practice. 
mm. and do my student teaching because it was not the full responsibility of teaching. So yeah. once I get fully in the classroom, the pattern then turned into run myself into the ground, take a day off, do Bikram. I would do Bikram, get a massage and go to Cafe Gratitude. Mm-hmm. And I would do it all over again until the break when I would just do Bikram every day for a break. That became the relationship with the yoga, but I was not able to keep it up and consistently and teach. So I was using cannabis and alcohol at night to bring yourself try down. to turn my mind off. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, I mean, I think of a lot of our listeners, a lot of yoga teachers and yoga therapists even will relate to that, that even with these powerful tools of yoga, you have to know the appropriate use of those tools at the right time. You have to have the motivation to do them. You have to make it a regular habit, bring it into your lifestyle, find the time to do it. Even for those of us who really understand the science behind yoga and Ayurveda and the gunas and why it works. And that knowledge is a totally different situation than being able to apply it and have a sustainable lifestyle. Totally. Yeah. And I think like the one-on-one counseling and the the counseling from the yoga sutras, like I was missing that. I was really just chasing this feeling that I, I didn't have words for yet. Which, what are the words you now... <laughs> Is it sattva? Is it? I think it's space. Space. Yeah. Spaciousness. Spaciousness. Yeah. So at some point you had left teaching when, when we had met you before you got into our program mm-hmm. and then the integrative Ayurvedic counseling program. How has that impacted not just your professional life? Cause you're going to go out and help people and do great things in this world. But did going through these classes for several years actually balance your mind and body and spirit? Because that's what I see in a lot of students is that they're getting a personal growth spurt as well as a professional growth spurt. I think 100%. And I think the the fact that I can sit here and talk about things in my past that for a long time I was very ashamed of. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's a testament to the work that I've done and the emotional digestion that I've done and the stability of of a foundation that I've built for myself. That is absolutely a result of that work. And I ask you what, you know, a lot of people get stuck on that point. Like somehow they want to uphold an image. They want to appear perfect if there is such a thing. What clicked for you that you were going to put words in your mouth and I want you to clarify, but where you finally felt comfortable in your skin as you are and that that's enough. Can you, do you know what clicked for you? I mean, I think there's a lot of pieces to it. I think the daily practice and working with a mentor and having my mentor hold my story, having a therapist hold my story and like not think I'm a bad person, you know, and like still support me and and think highly of me and reflect back to me positive things. I think that was a huge part of it. And I think now that I'm getting older and I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm working in an intensive outpatient program with young people. And it's like, it's part of like doing that work with integrity at this point for me is really owning those pieces of myself and being honest Yeah. And so recovery is a practice of mine, just like Ayurveda is a practice of mine and yoga therapy is a practice of mine, you know, and it's not, it's, it's not been pretty and it's not been perfect. And I was sitting kind of in meditation today in preparation for this. And I was thinking about this question, like, why is it now that I'm comfortable kind of speaking and sharing my story? And it's like, I thought back to who I was back in those years we're talking about. And I'm like, I I want her to hear this. You know, and if there's someone else that is living with shame or who, who feels hopeless or that I owe it to them to be honest and 
about the good and the bad and for the sake of hopefully, you know, spreading hope and, and connection and all of those things. What I love about what you're saying is, you know, sometimes we can get into these kind of healing programs where basically we're told we're bad, you're a sinner, you're always going to be an alcoholic or, you know, and, and what I hear you saying is, yeah, there, there was some, some things going on that I'm not super thrilled about. And at the same time, I am whole. I am a good person. I am full of light. Like both are true at the same time. Totally. And I think that's the beauty of yoga and Ayurveda is the entire time that we're working to heal ourselves. And I put that in, you know, quotes, air quotes. The beauty is that we're not forgetting our wholeness and our radiance and our brilliance and that we are more than our trauma or our addiction or our suffering. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And that worked for me. Cause I think the shaming, if you, you know, have to do it perfectly, like that just wouldn't have worked for me. So the invitation to be in relationship and to have people be patient with me and just, yeah, that's, that's what I needed. I needed time. This has taken a long time. That was one of the things I was wondering if you were going to say is to have a community of fairly healthy people. We all have flaws, but of good hearted, good natured people, all kind of working on themselves together with each other's best interests in mind. For me, that's been essential because the feedback that I got is I'm okay. I don't have to be perfect. I can show up. And if I do my best and try to be a kind person, that's enough versus some other situations I've been in and specifically my teaching 25 years at a university, there was always this feeling of you're never going to be enough. You're the weird one. You're not doing it right. Don't skip a day. God forbid you take a day off. Like there was always this almost like (laughs) coming from my Christian faith, it almost felt at the university like I was a sinner and I had to prove them prove differently. Yeah. I think the, the community piece is so critical and I think to bring people from all different experiences and with a shared love of yoga, a lot of it, I think is a testament to you, Amy, and the culture that you've created of integrity and honesty and, and values that are in line with, I mean, I think that's why when I read the introduction in Dr. Gail Parker's book, I was like that I knew, I mean, it was instant. So, so there's something about, I think what you've created that has allowed us to connect in that way. And I've taken full advantage. I mean, I I really do feel at this point in the program, I've connected deeply with multiple people and it's been a huge part of this journey. Yeah. I see that. I see that you're, you're loved and cared for and connected, you know, and not everyone gets there, but I think if you put in the effort and you reach out and you are honest about who you are and it's more likely to happen, you know? So can you tell us, and and I don't, you don't have to get too specific if it's too much, but with regards to your energy levels or your moods, what kinds of things do you do? I think our, our listeners would like to know, like, well, what do you actually do to manage that now as an Ayurvedic counselor and yoga therapist? For me, it's been a journey of figuring that out specifically. I think the first thing that's coming to mind is like, figuring out my constitution was a big part of all of this and actually accepting myself and kind of releasing some shame and guilt. So I'm very much Pitta Kapha and I'm apparently a very true Pitta Kapha. And so in the summertime, my needs are totally different than in the wintertime. 
And so it's really being in relationship to my environment and the season and the time of year and what's going on in my life. It's not just like a set program that I could just offer. It's really like doing that through the support of an amazing Ayurvedic practitioner and an amazing yoga therapist. But in general, I mean, it's a, it's a daily practice. And when it doesn't happen, it's very obvious. Like I can really feel it. And that practice is designed for you 100%. at your stage of life with your constitution at a certain time of year and depending on what's going on in your life. Yeah. Emotional digestion has been a big theme for me. So I've had some deeply cleansing practices and I find that really exhale-based practices bring me to a place of clarity and spaciousness where I can be in that place for a little bit and just be a witness to what comes up. And I think that's the place that the real work happens or the, I don't know if, if I feel comfortable saying like the healing happens, but maybe it is, but it's in that place after my practice where I'm able to just access just some quiet in my mind and some sense of spaciousness and expanse in my body and watch things come up. And sometimes it's tears associated to no memory at all, or sometimes it's just really pleasant or sometimes. So it's, it's in that place. And then, you know, a lot of journaling, but Mm -hmm. that is co-negotiated with a mentor. I don't just arrive at that place because Oh, one day I did the practice this way and it felt really good. Like it's the relationship with my practice that is built with my mentor that I know how to go through and arrive at. And if it's not getting me there, then something needs to change. I love what you're saying. Like our practice shouldn't hopefully put us to sleep unless it's an insomnia practice, but it should get us to that light, spacious, clear place. And for every person, it's going to be different. And that, I think that's why a lot of us have trouble going to regular group yoga classes now, because we can feel, oh my gosh, that class just totally flipped me up or this one completely brought me down. And so this idea of just individualized, almost prescriptive thing for you to help you hit that sweet spot day after day after day. Right. And then it's been the same thing with my Ayurvedic practitioner, with the food and with learning to read my menstrual cycle and with my digestion and my relationship to food and nourishment. Yeah. I mean, it's deep work, my relationship to yeah, how I nourish myself. I mean, that's so much deeper than just here's a food list. Yeah. So yeah, all of that for me, for the season, for my goals, that's what I've been doing for the past two years. I love that. I love that you took full advantage to work that out for yourself. That's really what I want to see. That's how I know you'll be an excellent yoga therapist because you've been through the process and now you can take someone else through that same journey. Yeah. I think it takes some humility to step back and say, I want to find that spaciousness on a daily basis and I will go to a mentor to help me figure out how to do that. And I will take two training programs at the same time to get me there. But isn't it a lovely feeling inside now that you can tap into? It really is. And when I meet with young people who are going through mental health treatment, what I'm teaching them is from my experience. And it's not like I tell them, oh, this is what happened. You know, it's like what I'm saying, it's coming through me in a whole different way because it's, it's what I experienced. So it's like, I believe in it. It's part of me. For me, that's the integrity. And that's where, when I was teaching in a public school, like I was celebrated for 
totally burning myself out and living a completely unhealthy life with zero balance. I was celebrated for that. And for me, knowing where that led me, committing to a new career and trusting in a new career path and doing it from this place of like, I'm doing this work on myself so that I can offer myself to other people from this solid foundation. That's the integrity that I needed to maybe heal me. I think I mentioned before, like being a recovering public school teacher, feeling like I didn't know what I was going to do was so hard after Mm -hmm. fully identifying as a teacher. But now like this feels like on such a, a, a deep level, like what I'm wanting, what I'm meant to do and, and how I want to serve. So tell us a little bit about how you're serving. You're working with kids who have addiction or psychological distress. What are they ages like 18 to 30? What What's the um, age? Actually 11 to 32. 132. And it's yeah. all online work. It is. So tell us about it. I'm, I'm just, I, I think it's a really interesting thing that you're doing. It's an intensive outpatient program. So a lot of the young people who are coming to the program are coming out of hospitalization or inpatient treatment. And yeah, they're in therapy for 12 hours a week. So it's a DBT program. So it's a lot of group work. And this particular organization values integrative healing modalities enough that yoga therapists facilitate groups. So I have the freedom to kind of create curriculum that complements what they're doing in DBT, which is a pretty awesome exercise. It's been pretty, pretty great to, to see yoga therapy, like right there in mental health. And yeah, people that are listening, what is DBT? Dialectical behavioral therapy. A very brief description for them. So they could maybe imagine like, well, how does that go with yoga? I've never gone through DBT myself. I know it has some roots in like mindfulness for sure, but it's a lot of like practical coping strategies for dealing with emotional regulation. It's pretty like by the books, it's a curriculum. So it's like there's processing hours where there's a licensed therapist in the room for processing. And then they have DBT curriculum hours where they're learning things like co-regulation and they're learning things like how to set boundaries. Like it's, it's really practical stuff, but it's a big commitment. So I'm sure there's licensed therapists who use DBT techniques within just a regular one-on-one setting, but this is the full program, which takes about 12 weeks to work through. And so they're getting all this other DBT treatment and, and all sorts of support like what is a lesson plan that you pull from yoga philosophy or anything really? What, like what kinds of things are you teaching them? I think what I'm learning is first and foremost, it takes time to create some community in the, in the space. Mm -hmm. So especially with the younger ones, we're taking time to like get to know each other. So I have like a long list of questions that are kind of high interest, fun, just to get us connecting and talking and cameras on and building some trust. So we spend time there just establishing trust. And of course it ranges, you know, if I have 11 year olds versus if I have 30 year olds, I can do a little bit more with the older folks. I mean, yesterday we were working with disappointment. I had a group of like 12 to 14 year olds and we were talking about disappointment and I had them do like write their wishes and hopes. So it was like the curriculum was around, like keep wishing and hoping, even if it doesn't happen. And so they 
wrote down their wishes and their hopes. I gave them a couple minutes to draw an image of it. And then we shared, I did a little mindfulness to kind of get them to think about what their wishes and their hopes for themselves are. So that's for the younger kids, but for the older kids, we get into nervous system stuff. Like the polyvagal stuff that I've brought for some of them have been pretty profound. And I've gotten that feedback. Like there was one young person who identified himself as being autistic. And when I went through the somatic imprints of the three different nervous system states, he said, I just realized I've been in freeze for so long. He said, this just gave me so much validation because people always tell me just do this, just do this. But I realize I can't because this is the nervous state I'm in. And he's like, this just gave me so much validation. This is the most helpful thing I've learned yet. So there's these little moments. So yeah, nervous system is a big thing. Sometimes I come into group and they're still wanting to process stuff that happened in the group before, or that's still in the space. That energy is still there. So, you know, you can plan all day, but ultimately I think it's for me, I'm learning more and more. It's about me doing my practices to be regulated so that I can show up and hold space and respond to the needs in front of me. So sometimes it's that. You know, when you were talking about the 11 to 14 year olds, what came to my mind is, oh, she just taught them Ishvara Pranidhana, right? To have hopes and dreams and then hold it lightly because it may not turn out the way that you think it's going to turn out. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, we've talked about this before in some of our optimal state meetings, like kind of going through and there's these concepts that can be tied back to Patanjali's Yoga Sutra and kind of bringing some of those threads through with the lesson. And I used to do that all the time at Cal State. And the kids really loved it. They had no idea what I was doing, but it sounds that you're doing some of that too. Yeah, I'm really trying to, and I'm, and I'm finding like bringing in some creative outlets is helpful because I'm finding a lot of the young kids identify as being creative and being artistic. And so just lecturing or just trying to get them to do breath work. And that's maybe like next step, but yeah, meeting them where they are, I think is like letting them show their art, like letting them sometimes, you know, or, or letting them talk about themselves. And you, you may be one of the only people in their lives that is regulated, that shows up present, kind, willing to let them be without a lot of expectations or without a lot of past baggage together. I mean, I'm I'm just thinking when I was in high school, I had such a hard time. What would it have been like to have a woman like you show up and just be part of my life? Like, I think that would have been life-changing. Yeah. And I I wouldn't have even known it at the time, but looking back, I can say, yeah. Yeah. Part of the work is the same kind of letting, because you don't get that initial feedback when Sometimes young people, I mean, young kids will share things that just totally move me. And, and like, it's like being able to reflect that back to them that, you know, how they impact me and show them. Sometimes we have these closing circles when it's their last day. And I think it's like being comfortable with like saying, I'm emotional that you're leaving. You're going to be missed. Like those moments are really special. I try to really show up. Yeah. Not be too rigid, but also like let them see how they're impacting me and how amazing I think they are. And how courageous and strong they are for doing this work as 11 year olds. I mean, it really is. I'm it's inspiring and it's, it's hard work. I think anytime we show up and give our heart like that and connect and tell somebody you're good, you're good to your little core, that seed has so much potential to grow over a lifetime. It's really a beautiful, 
beautiful thing. I still remember my third grade teacher, Mrs. Severson. Every day when I came in, I, I was having a really hard time because my parents were getting divorced. But every day she'd say, good morning, sunshine. And that planted a seed in me, you know? And I think that's what you're doing for these kids. Even though after 12 weeks they're leaving, I think you're planting a lot of seeds. Yeah. And I try to tell them that too, because I think they want instant results too and instant gratification. So I try to use that language that I think that resonates for them too, to hear, we're just planting seeds. You don't know how they're going to grow, but yeah. So, so what is your hope for the future? Let's see, just, just generally speaking. Yeah. Like we're talking about, you know, how you, you came from being this 13 year old little girl that was given amphetamines to becoming a teacher yourself, to getting burnt out, to finding a new passion in yoga and Ayurveda now yeah. sharing it with other kids that need support. Like, do you have any idea where the next door is going to open or not? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm committed to this path for sure. So as you know, I'm taking some time to travel and, and kind of use that as a way to dive deeper into my own practices. But I think for me, I think in the future, what I see is, is definitely some retreats. I think retreats are an opportunity to really go deep working one-on-one -on -one with people, but I, I want to continue to build relationships. I've done this a little bit already, but with therapists and psychotherapists, psychologists, so that a lot of these, they don't know how to refer to yoga therapists. They don't know what yoga therapy is or when it's appropriate to refer. So I want to use my experience, my own experiences with mental health and navigating the mental health system and now working in the mental health system to continue to to partner with those folks so that we can really wrap around people and provide whole person care that's compassionate and trauma-informed and build relationships of healing and communities. And can I, yeah, can I ask what you wrote. Sure. I'm here to tell you that there is support for navigating your unique healing journey. I'm here to tell you that there are people who have made it to the other side, whose life purpose is to guide you to find your healing and your peace you are not broken. You are not too far gone. You are not too much. And there are incredible tools and treatments and communities waiting to embrace you. And there's hope for the future. Yeah. And I really believe that. You are proof of that. <laughs> Any last words, Maya, that you want to talk about today? Or do you feel complete? Yeah. I think that what you just read feels totally complete. Yeah. I feel you know, when you come into the presence of a woman who has done her work like you have and is willing to show up comfortable in her skin, just being with that person is healing. And that's how I feel every time I, I see you as I'm like, I'm safe here. I'm safe with Maya. So Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> well, thank you to Maya for joining us today. One of the things that I loved that Maya said was that she had kind of formed her identity around being a teacher and that there is and was some difficulty in trusting that after all of her schooling, becoming a teacher and then getting burnt out, that she could find a new meaningful career path. And I, I have to say, it takes a lot of courage to step out of what mainstream education and career paths look like and to say, you know what, 
I think I can do this. I think I can share my love of yoga and Ayurveda with others, and I can make a living doing this. And so for all of you out there that are wondering if that's possible, it is possible. I think, you know, having a niche like Maya does with mental health is a really good idea because that's the doorway in that people can understand what exactly do you do? Just saying I'm a yoga therapist is a little confusing to people sometimes. They don't always know what that means. They don't know what kind of problems you could bring to that, what the solutions might be. A lot of people think it involves a lot of stretching and it's so much deeper than that. So to have a niche like mental health is really helpful because people can understand the language of we're going to help you learn to regulate your moods, regulate your energy levels, regulate your nervous system, even train your mind to be more disciplined, focus, attention, those types of things people can understand. Oh, that's something yoga therapy could do. So I just want to encourage all of you burnt out teachers out there, or maybe mothers who are looking for solutions for their children or even support from Maya as a mom or a dad, feel free to contact Maya at www.integratedmindbodytherapy.com. And I think Maya would be happy to help you or your family member come to a place of more wholeness and health and just give you support. So thank you for listening today and we will see you next week. Please don't forget to sign up for our newsletter mailing list, where we give you a free gift every single week. It's usually something that the guest has been talking about, like a book chapter or an article or an infographic. Check out the show notes for that. Thank you for listening today. Don't forget, we have a new YouTube channel called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. We also have a new Patreon page where you can support us to bring you the most excellent content. And that is Optimal State and the Yoga Therapy Hour Patreon page. Also, you could write us a review on most major platforms that host podcasts. Give us five stars if you appreciate the show and tell us what you love so that we can do more of that. Finally, we support several nonprofit organizations through this podcast. See the show notes to understand how you can help. If you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor for this program, contact us at the email welcome at theoptimalstate.com. Welcome at theoptimalstate.com. And finally, a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.